0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn,
2: Seven. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, and we're coming to you from a rainy December with uh, Adam Huggins. He is a young man with a lot going on: uh, permaculturist, <laughs> a- activist, collectivist, herbalist. Tell me, tell me what's going on with you today over there? Welcome.
1: Thank you, Seven. Good morning. Good morning. I'm sitting in the backyard of my grandfather's house in Walnut Creek, in the East Bay, California,
0: and um,
1: <laughs> just enjoying the. In the morning, we're uh, we're turning the backyard into kind of a, a little a little farm of sorts, and so just been sitting here for the so last hour. Is... <laughs> oh, po- so you're someone who's watching.
2: Oh, I. So you're someone who's quite interested in the transformational logistics. Uh, and has been involved in some community projects. Do you want to give us a little mini uh, overview of, of what you hit hit up so far? And also, um, yeah, start with there. Start there. Sure. Um, um,
1: I guess the most the most relevant project that I've been involved with is uh, is based out of uh, a youth collective run de-schooling center in Vancouver, British Columbia, called the Purple Thistle Center, which is a pretty neat neat space in terms of being kind of like a physical space that people hold to, to teach free classes and to offer free resources to the community on a regular basis, but also a wider community that is trying to create a, a gift economy and also trying to uh, trying to regenerate the industrial neighborhood that that we lived in. So part of that project was starting an urban farm just right outside of the center on the kind of marginal industrial roadside land that we had access to. And so that's been the project that I've been working on for the past three seasons. Um, what, what specifically would you like to know about? What do you... What strikes you?
2: So. Um... So you guys got access to this urban um, urban farm, and you generated a farm there. What were some of the issues and obstacles you came across, that maybe that were unexpected? This is for the for the for the greenhorn urban farmers among us. When you when you as you pursued that project,
1: well, it was it was it was essentially started by a collective of youth who had little to no idea what we were doing. Um, many of us had never gardened before. We didn't bother to get permission from anybody. We didn't really... We, we were essentially guerrilla gardening, and so we began as guerrilla gardeners and uh, just started building the beds along the streetways. Each person picked a plant that they wanted to, to get to know a little bit better, and so we didn't even start kind of with the standard kind of plants you would grow for, for food or for anything like that. One person really wanted to get to know tobacco. So we got some thousand-year-old tobacco seedlings from Salt Spring Seeds on the island and, and planted tobacco. Some person put in a, a huge tree mallow, this you know, beautiful overburdened plant that flowers profusely and then almost kills itself in the process. And, uh, and then there were some folks that put in different kinds of vegetables and things like that, but we really had a, an, an amazing smorgasbord of different types of people and, and plants and uh, the miraculous thing is that as we, as we grew and kept taking over land, the city would kind of retroactively approve our gardens as community gardens, as opposed to just fighting us about it, which is a little bit of a miracle, considering uh, some of the bureaucracy we ended up facing, facing later on <laughs> in the process. Um, we were, we were, so, we were would you it. recommend
2: that as a as a ta- as a tactic for others to be guerrilla, or do you feel like you outgrew that tactic early on, and you realize that being a little bit more process focused would serve your interests? Or how do you reflecting reflecting on the way that, that those relationships evolve what would be your guidance to others?
1: It really depends on what you're trying to do, but that that kind of age old maxim about asking. Asking uh, for forgiveness as opposed to permission, I think, is 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 very um, <laughs> is very instructive, and for us, worked out worked out very well. And that was kind of, you know, the entire Purple Circle project is 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 very much about just doing what you want to be doing, you know, and and the the missing elements will come they'll they'll arise later on um, this past year we decided we wanted to plant 50 or 60 fruit trees and start kind of a, a, a food forest, an urban permaculture garden, on a larger piece of land. And we brought in some truckfuls of horse manure and spread it and did the most massive sheet mulch I've ever seen and put the fruit trees in. And for that, we, we did go through like seven or eight months of um, getting, getting permission to use the land and fundraising to be able to do that project. So it's a combination of the two that, that get you along, I think, that we found.
2: Awesome. Good evaluation. So, so you had this experience, you transformed this place and, and built, a, I'm sure, a great community and had wonderful friendships and ate a lot of nice food, and then you <laughs> are now gone from there, but you brought something, I'm sure, with you from that um, to your new home. Um, and with a new mission, would you want to talk about what your kind of evolution of thinking has been, and, and what you're focused on now?
1: That is the question, Severin. Um, <laughs> I've been more or less—I I, I really, I really move on intuition and try to try to move, you know, to move as completely as possible, just based on what feels what feels right, and, and let the rest, the, <laughs> the rest follow. And so I've been, I've been traveling around on bicycle for the most part for the past several months. Um, I was biking from Montreal to Toronto and then from Toronto to Halifax, which is where I ran into some of you Greenhorn folks um, at the, the main uh, Common Ground County Fair. Which was oh,
2: yes. Oh, I forgot this part of the story. Would you mind, <laughs> just from us? A- you know, self-promotional perspective, would you mind telling people about that event and, and maybe the concept of uh, weed dating so that we can make sure to spread that word far and wide?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would be happy to, because it was delightful. Um, beautiful, beautiful, uh, like 60,000-person county fair in Maine, and uh, the Green showed up and uh, got, I don't know, maybe about 200 of us together to to do weed dating, which was essentially setting us down on a couple rows of Ella Elecampane and other herbs, and having us weed across from each other, and do kind of like speed dating. You know, little five-minute, like, meet the person across from you, talk about what you're doing, weed ferociously, and then move on. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was an awesome activity. <laughs> that was what introduced me to you guys, and also... Uh, you totally hooked me up with a, a really wonderful lover for the rest of that trip. And uh, hey! someone who worked on a Hi. seed farm in Nova Scotia. Yeah. So I ended up a couple, a couple of days later in Nova Scotia on a seed farm with this, with this girl who was also studying to be an herbalist. So it was a neat, a neat thing. And as it turned out, you know, we brought that idea back to Nova Scotia, and they ended up doing that in Halifax uh, on an urban farm there for their harvest celebration. But they did seed dating because it was a seed farm. So they were, they were uh, <laughs> processing seeds. Pretty neat stuff.
2: You know, good ideas get around.
1: They do. We, they do. They move around. People like yeah, we, we heard about like it from some people
2: eaters. in Idaho. It wasn't our idea. And That's we were fabulous. like, yes. <laughs> um, okay, so so you went on these long sojourn bike rides and chased some seed-growing herbalist girls, and now what's going on next? I'm
1: back here in California trying to be a good family member, trying to be a good older brother and a good son. Um, I'm here with my partner, and I guess we're going through like a, a slight fallow period. It's the wintertime, I don't know if you call it follow, like, every day where it's some urban farm or another, or we're putting putting kind of a farm in my grandfather's backyard and foraging mushrooms. But, like, you know, it's like uh, looking for just the right next project to jump into. But there's some amazing things going on in the Bay Area. We've been getting involved with a, a place called Canticle Farm, which is in East Oakland, in a pretty rough neighborhood, a very, very diverse, interesting neighborhood. And it's five houses that have knocked down the walls between them and uh, turned the, the kind of collected backyards into a small urban farm. And they, they do a lot of kind of uh, open house meditation and giving away free food and uh, offering people a space to come garden and learn about permaculture. Just so many, so many neat projects going on and... Uh, I guess the, the place that I'm in right now is finding just the right place to, to start planting seeds again. So you've caught me in between.
2: Well, good. Um, and, and so for those who are not familiar with the Bay Area urban farm scene uh, or, you know, and how quickly it is growing, I mean, I am a little bit out of touch now. I've been gone from the Bay Area for almost five years, Holy smell, because I went fast. And uh, I just feel like every time I go back, I hear about, you know, another three or four farms that have started, and not only have they started, but they're, like, super established and, you know, advocating for themselves at City Hall and, you know, on the front page of the Chronicle and working with artists and, you know, changing, uh, changing the, the scene in their neighborhood significantly. Um, mm-hmm. w- are you feeling are you feeling uh, attracted to urban farming, and as a and as a as a social justice and and sharing technology or or what's your attraction to attraction to urban farming versus rural farming? Like how are in your as you're thinking about those next places to put your seeds? Um, what are your hopes for that? All oh, right, that's a
1: that's a deep question. That like I'm gonna back check a little bit to the the Purple Thistle Center and and why it exists and mm-hmm. what it exists for. And um, the, the the guy who founded it about 12 years Is ago, was a bunch of kids from.
2: Hello. I think I um, I think I lost him. I'm right here. Can you hear me? Severin, so can you hear? Hello? I'm here. Yeah. You can hear me. Can you can hear? You hear? Adam. I hear you. You got me? Yep. Okay. Did um, you hear my question? Where,
1: where did you lose me? I was going to t- I was going to answer your question. So
2: Oh good. Answer the question. I'm sorry, I couldn't <laughs> hear you for a while. That's all right. Um
1: so the the Purple Citadel Center where I was sort of coordinating the urban farm that we were that we were building, um was founded about 12 years ago uh, by a guy named Matt Hearn, and he was inspired by several several thinkers, one of whom is Ivan Illich. I don't know if you're familiar with Ivan Illich, and um, yes. one of whom was Gustavo Esteva, who's a Mexican uh, a Mexican intellectual who lives in Oaxaca, and who I had the chance of visiting this past year, and both of them their ideas are greatly centered around the ideas of de-schooling, of of changing the education system and decentralizing the education system, and also of the medical system, and also of our systems of politics. A a massive sort of decentralization of these systems, and, and the word that is used is convivial, kind of a reconvivialization of these different of these different overbearing systems that have basically grown to, you know, grown to the size, just like our agricultural systems, that they become destructive to us, that they produce the exact thing which they're supposed to be uh, the antidote to, you know, the idea that large school systems produce ignorance, that large farming systems, you know, produce good, uh, destruction. They don't produce good food. I'm sure that's an idea that's familiar to a lot of a lot of folks listening to this particular radio broadcast. Um, and so, what we were what we were doing, and what our project was was stemming out of, and was sort of a, a uh, you know, it didn't it didn't necessarily come from the desire to farm so much as it came from a political and a, a philosophical desire to to reweave those community connections to gain a grounding that would take us out of those large kind of like medical school uh, agro, agro business systems so that we could be growing our own food and so that we could be growing our own medicine and learning how to make medicine. So we had a public apothecary with free herbal medicines and we would do plant walks and things like that so that we could, and, you know, just like taking the baby steps, the baby steps, but creating the foundations for a convivial sort of economy a, a different a different way of, of looking at things it's a it's a funny it's a fun question cuz coming back to to stay with my my parents for a short time you know trying to explain to them what I've been doing and how I invest my time and my energy where they see that maybe I don't seem to have much to show for it i don't have credentials. I don't have a lot of money (laughs) or any money. I don't have, you know, all these things. But I have skills that are way beyond what I could have ever achieved in any kind of school system. And they range all over from grant writing to working with wild plants to growing food to facilitating to networking and outreach, all these kinds of skills. And that Wherever I go, I'm able to tap into convivial systems where you don't need money to live. You don't need, you know, or at least a lot of it. You don't need all these things. Your security, your sense of self-security is not based on your investment within these larger systems, but it is simply based on your relationships with people and with places and with plants the things that you can control and the things that you can have a deep commitment to that you can affect.
2: Okay, I like what you're saying a lot. Um, The hole that usually gets poked at a bubble as beautiful as yours is, well, that's all very well and good, but what about all these millions and billions of people? Um, How is that practical? How is that efficient? How is that rational? How can you interlock or intermesh that way of uh, interacting with an economic logic that is so dominant? How, uh, so maybe, and I think that, that, that there's an answer to that question, and I'm happy to help you with my my contribution to that answer, but let's have you get a stab at what is, very, what, what is practical about your way of approaching um, your life skills and, and past.
1: I guess it's, sort of, it's, a, it's a holistic path and an artistic path and a spiritual path to life. So that is sort of the interfacing urban farms, too, I guess, to bring background to urban farming versus rural farming is, you know, you're creating a very small, you know, these very, very small, seemingly ineffectual projects in large urban spaces where you couldn't possibly, you know, the logic is you couldn't possibly feed everybody. You can't possibly feed everybody with organic farming. You can't feed the world on a small scale. That's the kind of arguments that we're up against. And, of course, you have to break them down into, into smaller pieces and they become transparent. Why, why should we want to feed the world? The world will feed itself if given the chance to. Why, you know, why, why should we we, we... we have to be able to think on a very, very... Personal, personal scale, not in the sense that, you know, I like changing my, you know, the cliche, like changing my light bulbs, I'm going to change the world, or that, you know, every, every individual effort is a drop in the bucket and doesn't make any difference in neither of those senses, but simply in the sense that taking responsibility for our own actions and livelihoods and giving ourselves the opportunity to let go of the things that we're attached to, to let go of the forms of security and comfort that we think we need that we're strangling ourselves and, you know, falling over ourselves to get to. I I don't know how to explain it. It's paradoxical in that by, you know, by taking that responsibility and commitment into yourself, by taking your life back into your own hands, by recognizing that you're going to die, that everything is going to die, that we're impermanent, by living like we're impermanent, I think that that allows you, in some ways, and that allows all of us to deal with the larger, the larger issues on larger scales, larger pictures. Because it's all constellations. All of these large issues are made up of individual people, individual places, individual communities. We're connected in those ways. We start taking power back at those levels, and so I guess what I'm about, and what I'm talking about, and why I'm why I'm traveling a little bit, and why I'm interested in urban farming is that these systems are small but they're 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 manageable you can recreate them they can spread and they can be individual to the community that they're a part of but they can you know they can kind of what's the word they they can recognize each other across communities too they can become connected we can we can connect ourselves in these ways interested in those kinds of frameworks and i'm interested in what your uh, what your contribution to that conversation is that you mentioned earlier.
2: Um, you did a very beautiful job, I'd like to say. Um, yeah, I, I, I echo those thoughts, and I also think that so much of the basis for that kind of mainstream evaluation of what is possible discounts, you know, a lot of little marginal spaces and um, secondary uh, products and you know non uh, non accounted for opportunities and you know vertical space and horizontal space and community space and uh, you're talking about convivial space. I think there's there's kind of a lot of dimensionality to the way that our economy works or the way that our social organisms can work that is not accounted for by the World Bank when they tell us what's possible and impossible. Mm -hmm. And when you're exploring marginal, you know, growing food in marginal land or working in informal arrangements of labor on a cooperative basis or on a community basis in in a non-monetized manner, that you are exploring those unaccounted-for margins and that you're learning about what's possible within those kinds of systems uh i just heard about a, a a man who made chairs and tables out of people's trees people in residential areas have large trees which they sometimes need removed those those trees removing those trees inside of a neighborhood is quite labor intensive but then there's no kind of timber value associated with that tree. And then this man made nice chairs and tables with those urban trees. So he was essentially an urban forester and all alone mm. as an urban forester making use of an economic resource, which is this timber, that was not, not considered as such by the economy. And so I thought that was a nice metaphor for how we can approach many different, uh, kind of frontiers of unevaluated potential. Mm -hmm. So I think you're doing that, which makes me very happy.
1: (laughs) I'm tickled as well. I I, I like the zero waste type of philosophy.
2: (laughs) I like like the new frontiersman, uh... So, let's see now. One thing I've known is a bunch of people get in touch with us at Greenhorns World talking uh, interested to do bike tours. So, we only have a few more minutes left, but I wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about um, best practice. If you're doing a kind of farm-based bike tour, how to be, number one, safe, uh, have a good adventure, but also not... Uh, you know, annoy or be a burden to the farms that you visit and and figure out how to learn a lot and contribute. Do you have something you could say about that?
1: I I think I do. I think (laughs) so much of my learning over the past several years has been how to be not only a good host as a coordinator, but a good guest as somebody, you know, a guest upon the earth, a guest in any ecosystem in it certainly a guest on somebody's farm or in somebody's house. Um, one of the things that, that traveling a bicycle, especially alone, um, has taught me is that it's, it's amazing how much just, like, the smallest acts of maintenance and self-care are so important. And this is something I learned at the thistle too, being somebody who's constantly invested in collective projects where you can, you know, you can burn yourself out very easily because the responsibility is, is diffused, and so you can take on too much of it or, you know, and by doing that, you might be feeling that you are such, a, such an amazing person or amazing contributor or amazing part of the team, but then you become sick or, you know, burning yourself out is about the least helpful thing you can do for anybody under any circumstances, and same thing on a bike trip, you know, overworking yourself or injuring yourself or making yourself sick, doesn't help anybody. It's important to recognize, especially in a situation like a bike trip where it makes you seem like you're very self-reliant, makes you seem like, you know, you're, you're not using fossil fuels. In my case, I was forging most of my food. So you, you, you feel like you're very self-reliant, but you're actually completely dependent upon everything, upon the singular, unprecedented contributions of so many actors, of the weather, of different organisms, and of your hosts, and of the drivers who managed to not hit you. <laughs> you're completely dependent, and so recognizing that and trying to ease your weight on the things upon which you're dependent, I think is, is such good learning, <laughs> such powerful learning. It's, you know, it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those paradoxes, again, I guess I believe in paradoxes. Oh,
2: um, well, it's also a nice cultural experience. Being a hobo, I feel like, is one of these important American uh, <laughs> characters. Like, you know that that being, you know, being yeah. able to live on the margin and and gives you a nice perspective. Gives you a nice time to think. It's almost like an antidote to going in college.
1: It's a total antidote. Anyone in college should jump on a bike and get the hell away from college for a little while at least. (laughs) That's exactly what I did. Maybe I'll go back to college someday. Well, in any case, I guess to, to answer your question about farms, the thing to do is to not feel entitled to anything and to bring gifts. They might be, in my case, they were often gifts of mushrooms or just gifts of... I'm pretty into botany, and so botanical information and unusual plants that you might not know around your corner, I could bring to a lot of the different farmers that I stayed with because a lot of them wouldn't know about, you know, autumn olive, or that you can eat it or that it's got lycopene in it or all this kind of cool stuff that you can learn. So bringing bringing little things to offer that are unique to you and that makes the whole exchange feel magical, I think, that's what I can offer in
2: in that sense. Pretty good. So now, if if you um, if folks are interested to find out about, well, first of all, I'm sorry, I had to stay focused here. Uh, Adam has contributed some beautiful uh, images to the almanac, the 2013 New Farmers Almanac, which I'll be promoting now for the next few months um, <laughs> as we're launching it. It's going to press. On Thursday, the 21st, which is supposed to be the apocalypse, Um, but we're betting that it won't be the apocalypse and that our almanac for 2013 will be just fine and that 2013 will be just fine and that we will all move forward as best we can. Uh, But you can order it on our website, Uh, it's $20, it's 320 pages, and... Uh, Our guest today, Adam Huggins, is a contributor. Adam, you have Mm -hmm. any final words or thoughts, or what you're looking for, or or, um, planning to to, that you're, you know, you have a chance to talk to the universe here. What what, (laughs) what What else is there that we haven't covered?
1: I would I would like to to thank both you and the universe for allowing me the space and time to to share some some thoughts. And um, if if there are any awesome farmers or farmer folk or agrarians or who's its or what's it in California who want to contact me, I'm I'm here to kind of root myself in this place for a while and looking for the right right project, right piece of land, right people to uh, to move forward with. So. Yeah, you, you're welcome to contact me. Is my contact information somehow made available in this in this program format? Or shall I speak it?
2: Yeah, go ahead and speak it also.
1: That would be good. Um, you can find anything you want to about me, and that includes the analog films that I make <laughs> and all of the other kinds of weird things that I do at... Uh, sunfishmoonlight.wordpress.com, and you can find my contact information there and some of the projects I've been working on. So feel free to contact me. I love to talk to folks. I'm pretty personable. Hi. Thanks a lot for having me, <laughs> Sopran.
2: Thanks a lot for coming on. It's really a great pleasure to get some uh, greener, greener greenhorns who, are, who have a different energy... Uh, sometimes we talk to people who are already in their family space. You know, as I'm getting to be an older greenhorn, uh, <laughs> sometimes our programming starts shifting towards the, the more, you know, already starting a farm business or already having babies and, but it's nice to get, uh, your perspective and I really enjoy the energy you bring. Let's talk about collaboration. I'm going to be in the Bay Area in like two weeks. So just call Very me on the
1: cell phone. Please contact me when you're here. I'd love to see you.
2: Yeah. Okay, good. If I I will. You're on my list.
1: Respect your Sorry, elders. everybody. Respect your elders.
2: This is Greenhorns Radio. These are real. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.
1: Bye.